0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire podcast network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots. From lacrosse, and that is the Navigator series. Now they have the women's windrows, they have the men's windrows, and then they have the Atlas the Atlas series within that as well. So go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have. I've been using mine for a couple weeks now, and I am very impressed with the the fit and the feel, and I can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run. So lacrossefootwear.com, check them out. Hey guys,
1: welcome to the Landon Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. We're co-owners of a consulting company called, go figure, Land and Legacy. This is your number one
2: podcast resource for all things land. Each week we're breaking down topics from land management, habitat management, conservation, farming practices, and real estate. We hope you guys enjoy it.
1: hey hey hey, guys welcome back Adam here Matt's here and uh, thanks for joining us once again for another Land and Legacy podcast Land and Legacy consulting company in case you didn't know travel (laughs) the country and consult and help landowners improve the habitat and native landscape or find what's other things if you were to sum up our consulting business
2: you know, another thing that we are really finding ourselves doing quite a bit is finding real estate and then working those properties. So basically from a start to finish whole transition, identify the best piece of real estate in that area, assist that landowner in purchasing it and then consulting on it and seeing that management plan all the way through. That's really kind of come on here um, by design. But that's another thing that we we're, we're really kind of starting to get into quite a bit, and I think that's a, a adds another element to the whole land and legacy, uh, let's say suite of services, and that's been so fun because it's it's not just come to what I already have, but it's hey, help me find something that I know I can accomplish these goals on, and then walk us through that whole process of land ownership, really taking hold of something that is yours calling it yours and then just getting into the actual physical management of it the planning then the implementation that's That's so fun it
1: is that's becoming one of my favorite parts of our business is is the kind of tying it in with the real estate side um really kind of a ah, big picture that's that's a lot of different things that we do and that's what this podcast is for to not only share with you um Tips, tricks, things to avoid in habitat land management, but also services and different products or practices that techniques can help you either make the biggest impact for the littlest amount of money, or also um, make you a better hunter.
2: No doubt, no doubt. And so that obviously we didn't even cover this podcast, but uh, you know, in this podcast, that's a lot of of what we cover, just trying to educate people on being the best steward on land that you can be as well as improve your efficiency as a hunter from managing the land, knowing it inside and out, and then just designing it to be hunted efficiently and successfully. That's right. So,
1: uh, we're on our way back from a QDMA cooperative field day and dinner in Kirksville, Missouri. Yeah. And we are in the gas mobile and we are driving. No, it's
2: not a Prius. No, it's not a Prius. <laughs> no, not, a Prius.
1: Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, we're in the car driving and it's raining and the defrost doesn't work great on this. So you may hear a little bit of background noise, but by, I mean, come on, guys, let's just be honest. By now, you've heard cutouts in audio um you've heard crackles in audio and
2: you've heard background noise so it's nothing new welcome back thanks for joining (laughs) us and that's the thing i think i like so much about it it's just pretty much hit record and just roll with it we're not perfect we're not uh sound engineers same thing with the videos we're not perfect but here's where the heart is of land legacy that's getting the information and education out there Um, And that's what we try and focus on from a learning week to week. How can we make ourselves better um, and and more knowledgeable on land and then deliver that to you guys in these various forms of content. Let's
1: avoid the gimmicks. Let's avoid the gadgets and let's uh, find what works and how to make it work. So before we sat down and hit the record button, we said, you want to talk about the hunt? Yep. So here we are. (laughs) That that was our
2: brainstorm session. (laughs) We're we're ready.
1: (laughs) So this past week... Uh, so, let's wrap this. Let's let's put Wait. this in a cap. We opened up season September fifteenth in Missouri, and I say we, as in Missouri residents. Matt yep. and I were in Ohio for the QDMA Deer Steward Two in Gallup Police, Ohio. And we
2: need to do a wrap up on that event. We we haven't talked about it since. Uh, oh, Chad and
1: I did last week. Oh, you a little did? Bit.
2: Yeah, but you can say what you want to say. Hey, keep it under thirty seconds. So. Yeah. Right. Fantastic event, man! That was just so much fun being um, with all those people. Fifteen different states, I think it was, four providences represented there at the field day. Uh, Q, excuse me, May Stewart two course, and uh, man, it's just a great opportunity to learn, meet new people. So if you have the opportunity to go through those courses, we definitely, you definitely encourage you to do so. I think one's going to be in Alabama next year, and then Stewart one is online. So definitely check that out. Um, and go through those courses. Lots of information thrown at you, but man, it makes you uh, really think. And so I, th- I think it's good to get people out of their comfort zone, onto new properties, look at them very critically and evaluate and learn from that standpoint. So, great Absolutely. event.
1: Yep, fun event. Um, so, we get back. Missouri season's opened up. Archery season, that is. And we sat in the tree stand the first night on a food plot that was great. We've had a lot of great pictures all summer long. And we got skunked
2: not a deer It's a real sight. world.
1: That's right. It's a real world, and no matter how much we manage, things happen, and you get skunked. Oh, yeah. And so oh, yeah. we're facing heavy rain here, it looks like, but we're also facing reality, just like you guys, and though we're hunting private ground that we've managed, we still get skunked. And, no doubt. Um, it was just great to be out there, be back in it. Um, okay, put that one behind us. Matt's up to bat. We're headed to my family farm hunt number two a few days later um close to a bedding area a food plot we've done a lot of edge feathering we've had a lot of edge feathering we've cut a bunch of cedars unrecognizable
2: um, if you were there three years ago to now what that food plot really looks like from a habitat vegetation standpoint which is really cool honestly just to go there and monitor it while being in a tree stand not just from a oh we were here during the summer continuing to manage it so That was cool just to be able to sit back in the tree. And the other thing that we we kind of didn't touch on so far is these hunts, we're, we're biding our time and making sure we're not getting anywhere we shouldn't be, one, but two, we're not getting in there when it's super hot. We've got great weather changes, little cold fronts that we're trying to capitalize on during these sits. Both of these sits were really ideal nights from a we would expect deer to be moving really pretty well because we're 10, 15. One night was 20 degrees cooler than any of the other nights uh, that we've been having here and experiencing. So that was pretty pretty awesome. Yeah,
1: uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think going back to the podcast where we talked about this year's expectations, things we're looking for, what deer season means to us. Deer season, especially on properties, oh, guess what, guys, spoilers, it's every property. We're looking from the tree stand going, how can we make this better? What about this food plot? Let's look at this food plot. And you can do this in every single stand, every single blind, every single tree that you sit at the base of and say, how can I make this spot better? and we strongly encourage you to be thinking about it like that because it's not about... Uh, there's, there's the mindset, and, and the, you can have this mindset of going, how can I become a better hunter? How can I find where the deer are bedding? Or put that land manager cap on and say, how can I fix this to where I don't have to learn where a deer is bedded down specifically or where I think he's coming from I can do the work this winter to where I know he, where he's coming from.
2: Yeah, or have a really good idea of it is absolutely 110% that direction, and he's going to be working this way. And this I did the edge end.
1: feathering in place to where I, I closed edge feather to where there's a 50% chance that he's going to come within this little gap. Yeah. And he's going to come out on this end of the food plot rather than set on one end and say, man, i got to figure out how to get to that back corner. Um, and get him in a range so you know the second night was is one of those nights for me we were back on the family farm which i've I've been there my whole life and and it's changed a lot and it's always changing and it's only getting better and if you were to ask me rank the family farm from a scale of one to ten and I know some people are going to be surprised by this I would give it a four currently yeah yeah because there's situations we understand guys we travel so much that it's hard to really manage our own properties exactly the way we want them because we're going looking at everybody else's farms and that's not excuse it's just lack of
2: time and which which everyone deals with from their own businesses or jobs or whatever it's just reality
1: and the and the bad management practices that we used for years and years and years we did deep tillage then we went to Monocultures, so it was soybean monocultures in the summer and it was turnip monocultures in the fall. And we fell victim to a lot of fads that made our property worse. And even though we felt like we were running around playing happy go lucky, knowing what we're doing, land manager,
2: we were doing more harm than good. You were in a short term mindset, uh, fixated on the short term techniques. Not realizing the long-term effect of those. Now, by educating yourself more, you're now fixated on long-term goals and the long-term techniques that make things better in the long haul.
1: That's right. And so, like, looking at that food plot. So, night number two, we got skunked again. But at that point, it was like, I wasn't sitting there going, well, where are the deer at? I really spent that time looking at the food plot going, okay.
2: And surrounding area.
1: Edge feathering is... Pretty well done. There's a few other trees we can really cut and make really good um, blocks, but what we're lacking is really good, really defined bedding um, In that a- area. A- away from that area. Like yep. there's one little pocket behind us, but it's not it's not gone through the fire rotation. It's not gone through the native prairie or the native restoration you know we're talking about an area that's 16 acres that had lots of fescue at one point um lots of uh eastern red cedar and where the eastern red cedar where we released that we're getting some natives back but we're talking about an area that was covered with or had a lot of uh domestic hogs on it while my dad was growing up Yep. Lots of uh, abuse, lot, abuse on that, so not a lot of natives in that seed bank that are of that uh, native themselves. grass <laughs> native grass variety yeah. that are really going to provide a lot of great structure. It's more of a herbaceous uh, annual weed component. And so uh, that's that's something that's going to change over time. So it's more of sitting in that stand going, Woo, there's a lot of work to be done, but we've done a lot of work already. It feels pretty good to know there's, there's some good, sound habitat management behind us, but there's even more in front of us.
2: No doubt, and I, and I think that there's two ways that a lot of people will kind of break down a property in their mind is, is, you know, where's the focus been on some properties? And it usually originates with food plots, and so from there, a lot of management techniques start at the food plot and then spread out outward throughout the rest of the property, whereas, typically if you go in comparison to the lease that borders your guys's family farm it kind of went the opposite direction started with timber and stretched out kind of the other opposite direction now getting into huh. a lot of food plots. and stuff. where's the and where's the big deer at uh-huh um exactly y'all it's... know it it's in the timbered area And so it's really funny to look at those two different techniques because you and Chab, growing up, your focus was a lot on food plots. You guys still utilize some prescribed fire, got into TSI, but truthfully from that management, it originated, started focusing on food plots, and then from there, bleeding back out towards or throughout the property. But those two differences, and we talk about it a lot, a lot, a lot on the podcast of, the biggest bangs for your buck and we talked about it a couple weeks ago with Todd and the old field management that he had if you can get away, step away sometimes from focusing all your efforts on a kill plot a food plot you will see bigger, better more drastically improved habitat and wildlife reacting to that if you get away from the food plot game for just a little bit yeah, it's, it's tough to do because there's so much emphasis out there from marketing, TV shows, podcasts, whatnot, about food plots. And yeah, we talk about them, but we're just sitting here saying, if you want to make some big changes on a property quickly, it's not just food plots. And, and we say that going into the story of a hunt that was on a food plot. Oh, totally. <laughs> we, we were patterning deer over that food plot. So they have their role 100%. But what we're talking about is that consistency in movement and holding deer and making them a better overall herd in that farm, or excuse me, in that neighborhood, specifically on that farm, by starting outside of a food plot.
1: That's right. Covering the biggest amount of area possible. Yeah. Um, so that night, we saw a beautiful sun, uh beautiful sunset. Oh, uh, one other thing to note is, looking at the food plots... Um, you know I talked about heavy tillage we're talking about two bottom plows sinking those babies into the into the already poor soil turning it over for years and years and years and not adding any soil amendments for the most part I mean we added some here and there but we didn't take soil samples we were just yeah take a bag okay here you go Um, and so it wasn't great it was horrible I'll just say it it was horrible and if you're in that situation stop it You're hurting yourself. Learn from my mistakes. Um, It it may not seem like a problem right away, but long term it's gonna be a problem. Um, And so sitting there, we watched a lot of doves come in and eat food plot seed. Um, So we planted. Let's give a little bit of a food plot wrap. We planted. uh, When was that? Was that end of
2: September? Like
1: third, fourth, fifth, I think. Okay, so we planted early September. We got. It was really dry the last week or two of August, but we got rain uh, the night we planted, and we... Haven't got rain since. Haven't gotten (laughs) rain. Pretty much. Uh, It took three weeks before we got a rain, and it was three-tenths, and then a few days later we got two-tenths. So we've had maybe a half-inch or three-quarters of an inch in the last two weeks, uh, or I guess last week, is what it's been. It's um,
2: been tough conditions, certainly from a fall planting uh, standpoint. Of once seed was in the ground, and then you just don't get the weather. That's 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 definitely frustrating. You go through the time, the effort, especially when you're starting to do, you know, these practices of and no till, till drilling, drilling. And, and keeping, you know, <laughs> the soil covered and planting into vegetation.
1: Planting diversity.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Um, not to say that the food plots in any way, shape, or form are not coming up and not germinating and whatever. Well, they, whatever. Look in,
1: they look incredible in the bottom fields oh, yeah. where we didn't do heavy tillage for years and years and years. Correct. Which and is even they look great on the ridge tops
2: of the Prairie Hollow property where there's never been tillage. Where there's never been tillage. They look,
0: they look and, and way
2: better. Never an ounce of lime. Never, never an, ounce an ounce of, of fertilizer. fertilizer. Nothing. It was timber two years ago. So there's a little bit of a, of a uh, I guess, illustration of what that work done, poor techniques in the past have, have done to that, because the food plot we were on, right, there's some areas, yeah, there's, there's food plot uh, seed coming up at germinated. you can see individual rows and everything, but just overall, and comparatively speaking, to the rest of the property, not nearly as good. Terrible, terrible, terrible. crazy and <laughs>
1: knucklehead terrible. Yeah. Um, absolutely awful, but it's getting better um and we have there's spots that are still good oh yeah oh yeah um we're we're, we're just saying thankfully we had a lot of we had great soybeans and uh, we had great heritage blend and and other plots and so that's still green they're eating the heck out of soybeans and uh it's doing it's They're that's what's holding our deer and so let's pivot off of that and say okay so first two hunts nothing but we had a great time we learned honestly we it looked. was cool
2: to be back in the tree and know that hey we got an opportunity just to be hunting again oh I just, for sure i just love that time we have spent
1: in the woods we got some new things we're testing i mean we're both wearing new boots um so i haven't released that video yet but um some guys swear by rubber boots and rubber boots you got if you're an archer hunter you got to wear rubber boots it's sent free it's sent free right Right, right? Something like that. Um, <laughs> and the last several years, I guess we started wearing hiking boots a couple years ago. Um, but we were wearing rubber boots, and it was like, I'm I'm drenched from the knee down. Like, oh, I don't yeah. think I stopped sweating the whole
2: time we were in the tree stand. And, and, and I don't care if the boot says scent free, and I believe that it could be, but I'm telling you what, what's going on inside the boot, Early season ain't sent free, because I'm sweating. It's swampy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's like there's cattails getting ready to sprout up out of there. There's enough moisture. Um, And so we're wearing hiking boots, leather 8-inch hiking boots. We're wearing Danner pronghorns. And uh, I'm so comfortable, and we're testing, and we're wearing some First Light Merino wool, which we've been a little bit like, how does, I always thought wool was for cold weather
2: yeah um and
1: so change you know, we changed ha-
2: some mindsets and we educated ourselves and like oh let's let's see what this stuff is all about
1: and so we're wearing uh we're testing some stuff testing the first light merino wool um layers and so far it, it, the first two nights it was hot too yeah and it was, uh, it was like oh, this stuff I'm, I'm comfortable and uh i i i forgot my thermos cell so let's Let's remember <laughs> yeah. we're trying to we're, we're trying to work through the kinks. So first two night, nights even though we didn't see any deer, we still learned some stuff. We still were comfortable getting back in the groove of things. Night 3 though, we were a little bit irritated though because we were <laughs> no. like first two nights, <laughs> yeah, Let's be honest. Let's yeah, that was fun. Okay, yeah, we we got out there. But aren't we supposed
2: to be good at this? I want I want to see some deer. And and there's everyone has got those I would say food plots or whatever. It's like, okay, that's just, like, faithful. You know, there's going to be a couple groups of does there, here and there, whatever. Um, but, you know, the wind's not always right for those situations. And you're just kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll get there. I'll, I'll get back in there. No biggie, whatever. But at this point, it was like, all right, we've had two sets, We've got a really nice, another good little uh, cold front, if you will. It dropped down to about 79 degrees pretty stiff wind that day so it stayed pretty cool and it's like all right we gotta get creative let's do something different
1: so let's dial it back a few podcasts when we had greg
2: godfrey from tethered on and we're like let's do this thing we, we got these saddles let's get out of the stand and use it like we said we're gonna use it
1: and we said let's go to where we know there's deer there's no stand and let's just get in there and shoot something.
2: you know, and this is this goes back I guess to the value of doing the habitat, focusing on the habitat first because we had a really pretty good idea of where we thought deer were going to be coming from in that food plot. And we didn't sit the whole night, but the camera was showing where deer were kind of entering and exiting the food plot. And we're like, "All right, well, we'll get we'll get our wind because we can go anywhere with the saddle, right? We can get our, We'll get our wind blowing across the other way, um, Not out the as back in door. We basically, can forget about the wind,
1: but we yeah, can yeah, send yeah. our wind wherever we want because we can set up wherever we want.
2: Correct. Correct. With with being in a saddle, so uh, we opted to do that and again get creative. Hunt a place that we've never hunted before, and didn't have a tree stand. We had saddles and four lone wolf sticks, and decided this is gonna be the tree tonight. And and so acre-and-a-half food plot. It's, it was
1: planted in, uh, so it's a, it was a uh, first time, second year as a food plot. So it was timber two years ago and so we're planting soybeans, just soybeans, to try to control some of our uh, noxious weeds that are in the area. So this plot had some cerisa coming up in it. Um, there's been some sprigs of Johnson grass here and there. And so we're trying to control that in this plot. So just soybeans, then and, we no-till. Probably the last year that it will do that. Yeah, we're gonna the put some being. natives in the, in the eastern end where we enter from or where closest to the road. So some natives to try to screen it and create some soft edge for small game species and uh, fawning and, and nesting habitat. But then at the same time, we planted half the field And the Stratton Legacy blend to get some great greens,
2: but the beans drilled right through the beans.
1: Drilled right through the beans. I gotta ask that question tonight at this co-op. you just drilled those right through the beans. Yep, we sure did. And a lot of the beans fell down, but a lot of the beans stood back up. So we've got green soybean leaves that are making pods, and then we have greens underneath germinating coming up. So we're gonna have standing grain with. Well, I say that. I'll explain why. I'm not so sure later, but yeah. um, standing grain hopefully with greens underneath. The perfect combination when it comes to late season food, in our opinion. And, and diversity. That's right. And so that's on one half, and then the other half is standing soybeans that were broadcasted with the revival blend, a perennial mix of clovers, alfalfa, and chicory from Stratton to where we have something that's going to be providing, so as it Germinates and grows this winter and into the spring. We're going to have something that's green and growing from for pretty much pretty much year round. Year round except in for when it's plot. covered in snow. in Half that food plot, and then the other half will be heritage blend or uh, another another blend we decide with. So it's going to be broken up three different types of food plots in one acre and a half food plot, and uh, so. We knew there's deer coming into it. We knew what the wind was. We didn't have a stand on that food plot, but we got the saddles for just this reason. So we head in with a southeast wind, and we set up on the north side, trying to blow our scent back over a big kind of the edge of the this ridge. It's uh, just a, a dead end ridge that shoots off a main ridge, and blow our wind off one end of it where, we, where we
2: hadn't been seeing really deer come from so it' was from our observations on trail cameras the safe safe place to blow the wind but we get there to the base of the tree start getting sticks up and there's I, already turkeys turkeys and a fawn pl- and, yeah and, and a single fawn and one back end of the food plot so then it's stealth mode.
1: Yeah, which is always fun. Oh, great. Now I get to hang the rest of these sticks and the one saddle platform <laughs> um, up. And I say the
2: one. Matt, would you care to explain? Yeah, I was working the office and, and uh, scrambled to get out of the office and went hunting, met you, and forgot to grab my predator platform out the back of my truck. And uh, I was hunting out of saddle. And... Uh, I guess we both were, only had one platform. So you were on comfortably on uh, Lone Wolf Sticks for a couple hours.
1: And if anybody knows anything about the Lone Wolf Sticks, it's not a a two-section step. It's not like at each spot for a step, there is either a right or a left step. It's one on one side, and then the next step for your, let's say, your right foot's on the bottom. There's nothing on the other side for your left foot except for... Whatever, 12 inches up. So I'm standing on top of that stick in the saddle. Matt's above me on the other side of the tree or on the kind of a, I guess, a catty ho- corner. caddy corner side in the platform in his saddle. Because trees have corners on them. And we are, um, set it, we got set up with Fawn and then later a mature doe in the food plot with eight turkeys somehow we did that
2: really was pretty amazing i'm not gonna lie as so, much as turkeys look up in the trees i don't know how they didn't bugger out of there, putt cluck their way out of the food plot but they they ended up later on coming to about 15 yards from us underneath the tree feeding then filter back off and fly up off the ridge
1: so one of the big things to note is that i'm so we're coming to you from a testing standpoint too many people were asking us about saddles We were seeing a lot of people hunting out of saddles. We thought, maybe there is something to this. So we got some saddles. Now we're getting more questions about saddles. (laughs) Now we're getting even more questions about saddles. And so we're looking at it from a, as you heard on the podcast with Greg, from a mobility standpoint on the properties we hunt, as in we have our permanent stands that are always good, or we think. um, Stands or trees or areas that we know are always pretty good. That's where our permanent stands are. We've got lock-ons. But there's always a time where you're like, I wish I could be in that tree tomorrow night. And you can't yank a stand down and go over there very quickly, quietly, without leaving a bunch of scent. So that's where we're like, you know, these saddles. We're sweating
2: during early season.
1: Yeah, or these saddles could be a great option. So we went to a post oak tree that was leaning so much. I don't think. This is one of the biggest problems when you hang two, two, lock-on tree stands in a crooked tree. Somebody's probably comfortable, but the other poor dirt bag, he is out.
2: Yeah, you he's don't want to be that guy.
1: He's he's either leaned forward with a big hunch hunch in his shoulders, trying to stay comfortable, or he's twisted up and feeling like his stand's
2: getting ready to dump him out. So here's a, here's a nerd thing. Whenever you have high density stock timber and there's only a limited amount of sunlight, trees want to fall and lean towards that sunlight and they grow on angles. So the better timber you have, the straighter trees you got, makes better and easier placement for tree stands. So we we have overstock timber in most of the places for right now, and it, we don't have the straightest of trees in some areas. That's right. It makes them it tougher <laughs> and uncomfortable.
1: Very tough, but this tree so. If we had tree stands, we wouldn't have hung in this tree.
2: No. We, we couldn't have it.
1: because whoever was the if the cameraman was hanging the set, he would have said no that tree's not going to work. If the hunter was hanging the tree stand, he would feel like a jerk by making his cameraman set that un and be that uncomfortable. Right. And so we went to this tree because in saddles we could get away with it. So I was on the side of the tree shooting left-handed like I do. Um, I was on the side of the tree where it was kind of leaning towards me.
2: A little bit, yeah. And
1: so I was still able to be comfortable.
2: With, with the ability to adjust that tether and and position you further or closer, whatever is most comfortable for you, in a distance away from that tree, you can take, if you will, that lean out of that tree because you have the flexibility. That's right. That's right. So
1: um, I'm set up one side of the tree. Matt's kind of catty corner in the platform in the saddle. We've already got deer in the food plot. We've got turkeys in the food plot. It's September, what was this, 26th? Yes. Something like that. September 26th, um, acre and a half food plot, and we proceed to see nine deer, five mature does, and four fawns, Yep. and eight turkeys all in this one acre and a half. It's really an acre because we still have dozer decks and logs from where we pile the trees up. It's They've been burned, but they need to be readjusted and burned again. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was a huge
2: success. I mean, right there, just seeing, just seeing those deer work into the food plot, feed like they ought to feed in a food plot, and then the turkeys be able to be in there utilizing it um, as well, it was just it was fun to sit back and just observe that because knowing two years ago that was just straight timber we would not have had that density that concentration of deer in that general area prior to having a food plot and the bedding areas surrounding that food plot like we did and experienced that night that That's was just right. cool sitting back and watching that i just think back
1: dial <laughs> it back to 2005 2004. Take that back. 2004. That's when I started bow hunting, and I saw one deer from tree stand that first year. One deer.
2: Boring. I don't
1: know how I got addicted to it, but now we saw nine deer in one set and eight turkeys. Yeah. And killed a doe. Yep.
2: So, so let's break down that that movement across that food plot because that was we had. Basically, deer come in from completely opposite directions. Basically, some from the west and some directly east. And we were watching the group from the west thinking, oh, this is going to be them. They're going to filter right down the, uh, the funnel and close the distance. And this food plot's kind of long skinny. Um,
1: it's a long skinny food plot. We've got a bedding area to the north north of it, kind of northeast side of it. And we've got a bedding area to the southwest side of it. Uh, another bedding area across the road, about 200 yards uh, east. And so we've got bedding areas, bedding thickets, temporary forest openings, wildlife openings, whatever you want to call them. We cut trees in a circular, square, creative fashion and created bedding areas. And deer have been in this area. It's only 150 yards from where I shot my buck last year um and a saddle just to the north and it's just a good area it's always been a good area um but the food plot's kind of designed to where long skinny and right now as i mentioned the dozer decks are on the southeast corner and the south west corner let's say um and we're set up kind of quarter way down on the north side expecting deer to come from the south, southeast, or the, excuse me, the southwest, or the south, or straight west. And deer come out in the food plot, and being long and skinny and having a variety, we've got soybeans on the north half, um, soybeans on the south half, but a fall food plot on the south half, and then clover that's not quite germinated or growing real well because of the drought uh, on the north half and we are working to get deer to move through this plot how do we get them to do that adding diversity of food and then also adding bedding thickets on both sides so during the rut if a deer is moving back and forth or trying to move from one to the other they're going to cut across a food plot um, in this particular case it kind of happened a little bit different a little bit um, what we had was family group come out on the west end hang out kind of work their way towards us here's a question for you i haven't asked you do you think those deer those deer would have ever worked in the range if the other deer the one the of gr- uh, the group that i shot one out of if they had never entered the field
2: yes i think so too they were they were taking their time but but purposefully, intentionally feeding across, getting closer closer in the range. They closed from 60 to probably 55, 50 yards and, and were making that climb uh, closer to, that, to our, let's say, shooting ability. And they were, they were going to work their way in. But as we saw and discussed, and here's another just simple thing that I think a lot of people may overlook. But just the body language of other deer in a food plot. If you're watching those deer intently, even if they're, you know, non-target deer, watch those deer because they're going to tell you when other deer are coming into the food plot probably before or, you ever or even know. Or other animals. Yeah, or or other animals, whether that's turkey that stay in the plot, whatever. They're just so much keener on their senses than we are. And so we noticed one of the does, basically the lead doe coming in from the west, working closer into range start throwing her head up and looking back to the east and we're like hmm something's going to come from there in a little bit I think we, we we made note of that when we said something like they keep throwing their head up this way we glanced back over there over our left shoulders and couldn't see anything until they were 40 yards in closing <laughs> that's right
1: that's right and so uh she definitely threw her head up and you said Adam they were on your side of the uh, your side of the tree and you told me there's deer right there um and Two big does and a fawn. Another, that's right. Another fawn. And a big doe came by. And at first it was two deer. And he said there's two deer. And I was under the impression it was two does. So the first doe walks out and you're like, this other one's a fawn. I was like, oh, okay. I better uh, take that, that lead doe. Better take that lead doe then. And here's something also. When you talk about body language of a deer, it's also crucial to study body language of a deer in preparation for a shot totally i see too many people take shots or hear of too many people taking shots at deer that they weren't gonna that is not a very low percentage shot yeah or i don't know if i want to say ethical because i'm not saying they're unethical but being aware of the of the alertness of a deer is crucial in having successful shots, in my honest opinion.
2: Let's this let's, say, night. let's say the best bow hunters out there can place an arrow at various yardages, wherever they want that arrow to go. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. But what's out of your control, depending on the alertness of that deer, is the reaction of that that deer is going to have to the shot. And so they can duck in different ways they can spin they can wheel and you just sometimes don't know especially if that animal's quartering different ways they're directly broadside usually yeah they're just going to go drop straight down but if they're quartering they're going to spin and wheel some a little bit and it's just that's where that low percentage opportunities you might place that arrow and 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 aim right where you need to execute your shot on your your portion of it perfectly but that animal has its own mind too and, and it's not made up before you make the shot on where it's going and you can't interpret that all the time 100% accurately.
1: That's right and so it's crucial too like when you see those quartering away or quartering two shots and head down I mean that, that's the I, biggest we thing we right can't there. can't emphasize this enough but if a deer is alert And and this is based on, I don't know how many deer we've watched it, but I feel very confident in this, that if a deer is alert, whether it's head up or head down, there is so much more of a chance that they're going to duck, wheel, turn, kick, whatever, get out of the way, or be injured by an arrow
2: if they're head down when you shoot. And if their head is up and it's looking directly at you, They've heard something. <laughs> that's alert. That's alert. But they still can't react as quick <laughs> as a head down. Correct. And it If sounds, you watch a deer... It sounds silly to think that a deer might be looking directly at you, head up, maybe spotted you even. In comparison yeah. to a head down deer that is still relatively alert, the head down deer will duck further, lower than that deer that's head up. If, Physically, it's much easier. If I have a deer...
1: If you were to ask me, would you rather shoot at this deer that has no idea you're in the world, head down, or this deer, they're both the same range, range doesn't matter, or this deer who's looking so intently at you, he knows what color your underwear are, but his head's up, I'm going to take the one where he knows what color underwear I'm wearing, because his head's up. If Yeah, if you were forced to take that shot. I would much rather shoot a deer with their head up. Well, And, he, and, here's uh, and, and, and you'll reason. see us even... In, in the videos. Go to our YouTube channel watch our videos. Um, you're going to see us, especially this fall or in past videos where deer, if they're just minding their own business in a food plot, whatever it is they're doing, you're going to hear a little noise or you're going to see us wait until they put their head up. And that's because we've just watched too many arrows sail over the back of a deer because they had their head down and as they're loading up to get out of there first thing they do is drop their head and neck drop their shoulders and then get out of there and if they're already head down all they have to do is drop their shoulders and get out
2: of there you go, you go from a two stage movement of when their head is up and versus a one stage movement because their head's already down feeding to be, basically make that first move out of there and so that difference in time matters because that basically changes the difference in the drop or the amount that it can drop by the time your arrow gets there it makes a considerable amount of difference we're not advocating to say shooting at alert deer we're just saying be mindful of it even if it has its head down you have to be aware that if it's relatively alert and still feeding with its head down you have to know that that animal is likely going to drop and likely going to drop further Than if the head is up and alert that's right
1: so um that's definitely something consider so it when you watch this i'll probably drop this this uh video it'll probably be already on our on our youtube channel check Um, it out hopefully youtube Um, facebook it'll be something one of our it'll be our latest video so just look for the most recent and you'll see me draw on a deer um First, this lead doe. When Matt says no, the other one's a fawn. I'm like, oh well, I better shoot the lead doe, Um, and don't don't let us get through this podcast without talking about doe management. Oh yeah. Um, And so I end up drawing on this deer. I range her. She's like 33 yards, and I'm like, okay, 33 yards. She's quartering away. It is dead calm. Yeah. Dead calm. And you'll see me draw and she turns and faces quartering away and i just end up letting down because dead calm head down quartering away 34 yards just too many variables that say that's not that's not a high success shot for myself
2: and and could you have put the arrow where it needed to go absolutely if that deer did not move or if you hadn't anticipated that deer moving like you thought it would no doubt 100 percent confident in that it's it's the unknown of the animal and the way it's going to react that made you not feel comfortable and taking that shot knowing there might be it might present another opportunity you ever watch happy gilmore i know you've watched happy oh gilmore, my gosh yeah kidding me remember when he was putting into the clown he had no idea yeah.
1: what that clown was going to do whether his teeth were going to drop or it was going to spit it out or if it was just going to go to the hole same way like i don't know if she's going to react not react but i know for sure her head's down it's dead calm there you go and Shooting deer is just like putt putt. That's right, that's right. When the when the variables or the odds are stacked against you, or you start getting lower and lower, means more unethical. I, ain't, I ain't doing it. But and anyhow, so, we didn't have to worry about that because the big doe, she, another doe stepped out, and and that was the best phrase of hunting season so far. Adam, there's another big doe right here.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna let her get away. Yeah. So. She was working the, basically the timber line that we walked in, she was working it, and then kind of, and that's why I, she might have come out with those other ones, I just didn't see her right away, and then, because there was quite a few limbs um, back that direction, anyhow, I'm peering through them, I see legs, and oh, 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 yep, here comes this other doe, kind of right down the gauntlet, and uh, she's, she's taking her time much more easier compared to that first lead though that just basically got out to the plot and started feed head it's down. Like,
1: it was like she was headed out to investigate the other does that were on that field. Yeah. And so, uh, this second doe was taking her time and that's the thing about these saddles that I like so much is the movement required is a shift of weight. Usually, a shift of hips And not really a shift of feet on a stand platform. Which usually would result in a squeak or creak or pop. It could very easily, especially if you're in a cheaper tree stand. Yeah. And (laughs) which most of our tree stands are cheap. And so uh, it definitely was a, uh, ooh, let's, and so I just, you shifted around. I shifted around and this
2: doe stepped out 19 yards, head up. Wow, Yeah, and she was... her, Her head was up, and this goes back to the body language thing. Her head was up, but she was just surveying calmly the field. And a lot of times you're like, okay, well, what do you mean like body language? Okay, you're talking about head up. Sometimes that could be alert. Sometimes that's not alert in what you're saying, but reading... Okay, look at the ears, look at the rigidness of the body, look at their eyes, honestly, if you can see that well or through binos, whatever it may be. They're a lot but,
1: jerkier too
2: with the oh, movements like no heads doubt. whipping around, heads
1: going up. Sometimes you may bob, see the right. head bob, the fake brows and head back up. Like there's a lot of signs. and you and you learn that by just watching deer more and more. Definitely. Like watch a deer watch a deer in a field when a coyote enters and gets a little too close.
2: You'll see a lot of staring, maybe of stomping, even that stomping, head looking up, almost like like when you see your buddy walking down the road and you give him like that little like head bob, that chin kind of go up a little bit. That doe's gonna look like her nose and chin are up in the air and kind of looking through that thing, really, really questioning and looking it over.
1: Or you'll see the 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 feet more of a like a real discreet lift those feet and put them back down more rigid um as she kind of walks and is looking that's another clear-cut sign that deer is on alert yeah um but this deer was totally
2: not she was laid back laid back
1: strolling like whatever just minding her own business and like dang
2: these beans are good yeah
1: 19 yards uh double under she ran 70 80 yards piled up um
0: Done and deal, game a, over. A, a,
1: a, yeah, it was a great hunt. Now, um, something, it's September 26th when, when this hunt occurred. Yes, it's the furthest food plot from the road. We go through a lot of the farm to get to this food plot. Now, we don't go through other food plots to get to it because of the By design. By design. Um, we drove my, my explorer all the way up there, um... And so, yeah, we got back there, and then we watched the we, Cuddy Link camera, sent the email the ne- that next morning, and there was deer all over the food plot that we drove somewhat by. Uh, the road is about 60 yards from from the food plot, and uh, we drove by it, and there was deer all in it that night. So it's not like something that's a. Uh, uh, You're not blowing, not blowing out fields, blowing getting, out the, getting to the, the, the back of and the property. i not, I'm not it's worried not a big about deal, it. no and we don't want it to even be in our mind to like ooh, we can't do that because we don't want to we want to enjoy the property. And uh,
2: so <laughs> yeah, and there's a great chance of killing there's probably if all the deer come back that we would expect to, there's probably three deer that could easily be harvested, three bucks could be harvested on that field during throughout the year at a later date. And it's like, oh well, no biggie. It's
1: not the overall mission. The mission is not kill big deer. The mission is to enjoy the landscape and manage the landscape, which and the deer
2: are part of the landscape.
1: They're a piece of it. They're a puzzle. They're not the whole picture. And that's where, you know, you'll hear us talk in the video if you watch it. I would hopefully you'll watch it. Um, but Matt and I. I don't know how many farms we've worked, but we've been over 40,000 acres in three years since creating Land and Legacy. Uh, We've been in 27 states, and we see, based on past experience, pre-Land and Legacy, and current, current times, we see really, really great farms, or good farms take a step down so a really really great farm turns into a good farm or a good or, farm,
2: or several steps down turns point. into a yeah okay farm
1: and there's farms that were really good that i probably wouldn't hunt if i got invited because the management lacked from a uh,
2: from a herd standpoint a management of the deer herd rather than a sole focus of just targeting mature deer and not managing your doe population or antlerless deer i was talking to a guy tonight actually at the event and it was you know there's three principles that qdma was founded on and it's basically habitat management improvement um letting deer get to older age classes and that at the time and still now Is passing yearling bucks it's not saying you have to shoot them at four and then number three is managing your antlerless deer population but truthfully the organization and QDM in general is typically understood and interpreted just to be shoot bigger deer and, and, and do food plots. And but how dare you shoot one of the deer that's been on my property that was a young buck. <laughs> yeah. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. We, ha- we cannot at all forget the importance of managing antlerless deer populations. There's states that are just ate up with deer. And you have to be able to realize that more mouths per acre, if you don't have the carrying capacity on the landscape, which most of these places don't, despite decent management... That's how quickly things can get out of whack. And if you don't stay on top of it, then your goal of shooting a trophy deer a or Boone a and great... Yeah, uh, yeah, let's just say a boon and crock. That's your goal. You're not going to be able to see that or you're going to struggle to see that because of the social stress and the lack of food and, and, and cover across and, the whole place. And the carrying capacity is exceeded exceeded and that again puts stress on the landscape puts stress on the deer herd and like we talked about in the video is that's not going to happen here we've seen it too many times on good places the deer numbers just get way out of touch with reality of where they should be and so there's nine deer on the food plot five adult does and so what if it's uh, September, we've got chances of another of shooting some some great bucks off of it. By golly, we've got a mission. We're going to stick to it because we know overall we're going to better the deer herd by taking this doe right now versus maybe later in the season when we get busy with holidays and traveling. Whatever, we could have delayed it, but you know there's no better time than the present. Delaying doe management, focusing on bucks. And
1: enjoying seeing a lot of deer are three of the biggest factors we see, with why someone doesn't harvest does, or or the fourth being the old slang that that does the mother to the next big buck. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I love that one.
1: Yeah, and so uh, well that yeah, it's just uh, that's a that's a big. Those are big issues, and and we've said it from day one. We're not going into managing the Prairie Hollow property of the family farm with the mindset of focusing on one species. We have to keep our focus on improving the landscape holistically. And that doesn't happen by looking at big antlers and saying, ooh we're going to focus on killing that deer.
2: Yeah, it's going to be an overall mission driven hunting season and if those opportunities arise well fantastic we'll take advantage of them and seeing nine deer on a acre and a half food plot
1: and the amount of browse pressure that we saw or are seeing, it's time to start shooting some does sure thing and whether we give the meat away or we cook it up ourselves, it's going to good use it's going to the freezer and that one's going to make jerky and we are on top of it, and making sure we don't fall victim to what we see happen so many times.
2: Definitely not. So, I, I think I think that hopefully it's applicable to a lot of people who find themselves this season going into the mindset of okay, I've got I got a ton of deer. I can't grow fo- food plots. You know, I'm bumping deer left and right, trying to get to stands. What do I do? What do I do? Well, I mean, I'm I'm here to say that that message was probably for you, and and to. I don't want to say attack the dose, but but realize that that could be an issue and a problem on your property in your neighborhood. And whether you're a co-op managing together, really look at those numbers and 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 try and better understand if that is a helping you accomplish your goal or hurting your goal. Maybe you do want to see a lot of deer. Maybe your property can carry a lot. Great and fantastic if it can. Maybe you got opportunities to bring new hunters or young hunters or whatever into the system absolutely that's fantastic but if it's not and it's out of whack and your land and native habitat is struggling to make it because of that time to shoot some does yeah it's
1: like uh the video we put up with todd watts talking about the bass pond if you're managing for trophy bass or you're managing for lots of catches
2: high catch rates those are two things but you can't have them both nope and and, you can stay on the road. Can't have maximum is what <laughs> correct, I should say. Correct.
1: You can have 75 probably of both, but you can't have Percentage. 100% of yeah, yeah. Right, each.
2: Right. And you so. have to blend goals together sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with that. We do that ourselves. So I <coughs> think uh, I, I would say this again. Consider yourself in that equation of do I need to ask yourself that because it's, it's a super important aspect to overall quality deer management. Again, that doesn't relate just to bucks and antler size, but overall herd management. That's
1: right, so recap this episode. Um, don't forget to stay on, monitor your habitat from the stand, how to improve your farm and your hunting from the stand. Make sure you're paying attention to doe numbers and not letting them get out of reach to where you're going to have to focus on large kill rates in future years. Like, say, oh, I've got to shoot 30 deer, I've got to shoot 20 deer on 50 acres. Don't put it to where then it turns into a job and it can get really stressful um, trying to make sure that you're killing enough deer. Uh, and then you risk the chance of it not becoming fun. Um, don't forget or don't be afraid to get creative with your running and gunning and moving around. That's why we've got the saddles, and so far, so good. We really like those saddles and are looking forward to
2: uh, more setups that we can use them in. Yeah. <laughs> more uh, situations where the wind's like, meh we gotta let's get creative on this one yeah it opens it up for a wide
1: variety of trees now that we can hunt that we couldn't out of tree stands properties it, to hunt properties too. to hunt and also the ability to just go and hang and hunt the same day sure thing uh which i don't enjoy with tree stands but now I'm, that was pretty fun with the saddles i
2: enjoyed it i certainly did um
1: and so those are all great uh great things we're also you know continue we'll give thumbs up to the dana pronghorns for an early season boot and also uh the first light so far so good really like it i know we posted a few pictures of us in it and guys were asking us hey i've been thinking about that stuff fellas we don't have a lot of experience we're not going to tell you something we don't we don't like yeah go buy the whole kit we haven't even wore the warm stuff yet or the the stuff for cold weather but so far we really like the warm season stuff uh the, the the base layer stuff for for staying cool in hot weather.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's good good stuff. We'll, we'll keep you guys updated on it and let you know kind of our thoughts throughout the whole season. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. And I do want to say this, is as we're getting closer and closer to the whole, uh, let's say, winter, spring season, we have been getting slammed with uh, dates and everything for getting back on the road, consulting a lot. So if you're considering that, Make sure um, you reach out relatively soon because yeah. we've got things scheduled. Some of the scheduled. states we're going to be in: yeah, uh, Virginia, Iowa, Mississippi, Ohio, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Tennessee, can, yep, Oklahoma a lot, Kentucky, um, and then Pennsylvania. Georgia, Pennsylvania. So so we really well.
1: didn't help you out at all with that list. <laughs> we'll be everywhere. Yeah,
2: <laughs> we'll be everywhere at some point. So, Text
1: us or email us at info at tv because there's a good chance we'll be going through
2: your state. Yeah, we'll be going through it at some point. Maybe we can add you to a trip. um, Michigan. Yep, in Michigan. So, guys, appreciate everything. I think that's just about it. I think that's about it to wrap this one up. That's right. So, guys,
1: go check out our YouTube channel. Please, 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 subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Was that you begging? That was me begging. Oh, okay. I know how many people listen to this podcast every week, and they're not going to watch those
2: videos. <laughs> <laughs> and I know how many views you've been getting. Yeah, oh, that's
1: funny. So, anyway, guys, thanks for joining us so much. It means the world to us that you guys join us every week. You share it with your friends. Um, oh, whitetail hats are back in stock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good, um, good call. Good call. T- to... Uh, Two different colors. We've got the traditional blue with the gold and and uh, white, right. kind of off white back. The three color, the tricolored whitetail hat that you've seen, but we also have it now available in brown. So go check it out. Awesome hats. They're looking sharp.
2: Shoplandandlegacy.tv.com. Uh, Shoplandandlegacy.com.
1: Shop there we go. And also another great way, since you mentioned, another great way to support this podcast, support our business support us um, is to use our shop on where you're purchasing so whether you're looking for cutting back cameras Stratton Seed um, Redneck Blinds guys we just we're Redneck Blind dealers Uh, you can get those on the website Uh, also hats did I say cutting back cameras? yeah okay so there you have it Um, and more to come so thank you guys
2: Appreciate we'll it. See you next week. See ya. Yeah.